This is Coda Radio, episode 389, for November 23rd, 2020. Welcome in to Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and the business of software development and the world of technology. This episode is brought to you by a cloud guru. Cloud Guru now has Cloud Playgrounds, Azure, AWS, and Google Cloud Playground right all on their machines with their credit card, not yours, on their infrastructure, not yours. Get certified, get hired, get learning at a cloudguru.com. My name is Chris, and I think perhaps planning to fry a turkey. Live on the show, it's our host, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike. Gobble, gobble. Frying something on the show might be your credit card. Oh, <laughs> shots fired. Yes, we're going to get to it, but it's uh, it's an exciting, perhaps, live purchase. We'll find out. We're going to we're gonna walk through it on the show here in a little bit. Yeah, settle down, Chris. We can't, we can't give it, you know. No, I know. And, you know, it's we have our traditions. Like, like the people used to have their holidays, we have our traditions. And one of those is we start with feedback here on the program. And uh, we have some good feedback, so I thought, you know, we'd read a batch of them. But then, you know, we do have uh, perhaps something to get into in the second half of the show. So we're just going to do three emails this week, you know, just to keep it nice and tidy. Plus, I got a turkey smoking at home, so I got to I gotta wrap this up, mm. you know. I, uh, I I estimate I got seven hours, Damn. but um, made a big mistake, I think. Um, and that is uh, what some people recommend you do. And this is the problem with with recipes. Um, they they have like this entire story that you have to skim to get any kind of information. Or if you go on YouTube, you have to sit through like their cold open and then their intro. And then God forbid, like some sort of like call out to subscribe and hit the bell. And then you watch the video that they tell you how to smoke the turkey. And it's it's a process, Mike. Let me tell you, it's a process. Yeah, see, if I had a smoker, I'm pretty sure I would smoke even more laptops. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> you would find a way to sneak one in there. I uh, I was smoking uh, some chicken over the weekend, and this is a it's um it's a pellet fed smoker, and um, it's going right along. And um, I come inside, I'm getting every, other things ready. About an hour goes by, and I come outside, and I realize that my daughter had unplugged it when she was trying to help me with something oh. else, and just left the smoker. <laughs> That was my, yeah. So this is a test run. So I got her at home smoking right now while I'm down here in the studio. So we'll see how things turn out. But I think the mistake I made is I tried to like heat blast it to crisp up the skin. Mm. And uh, I think uh, I think I think it just got things too hot. So, you know, because the, the goal with smoking is low and slow. So be careful on the YouTube videos you pick. Yes, yeah, so you don't want to go too hot too fast. No, you got to take your time with it. You know, that bird is a lady. Really warm it up. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's just move on. All right. <laughs> All right. Shad writes in and uh, he's stuck at a fork in the Indie Rose. Says, Hello. Hi there. Hey, Shad. I'm a software developer specializing in a platform that is small enough where over time I was able to establish a bit of a name for myself. At the same time, it's big enough where there is plenty of work if you're good. Similar to Chris, I was independent. And then I went to go work full time. And well, now I'm back independent again. 80 to 90% of my income comes from a mix of my own long term clients and subcontracting for larger shops. The rest comes from some product sales and shorter one off projects. 
I think a lot of us are pretty familiar with that mix. Uh, He goes on to say, where I need advice is regarding where to go from here. I have made some attempts to hire a part-time help with a uh, product promotion, maybe somebody with project dev work, but I really haven't had much luck. The talent pool for developers in the platform I work on is small, and I've had trouble finding people. The fact that it's small is probably why he's able to eke out some value in that market. But uh, he, he goes on to say, I've worked with some offshore developers, but the time difference was too challenging and it was easy to just do the work myself. Additionally, much of my hourly work comes from subcontracting, which I cannot outsource. I'm making really good money right now, but I'd like to reduce my dependency on hourly work in the long term. I really enjoy development and coming up with solutions for small business problems. I don't mind doing some project management, but... I don't think I'd enjoy it primarily, and I don't think I'd enjoy focusing on managing a team. The only two paths I can see are to keep doing what I am doing and increase my rates over time, or hire some help with a good background and then train them in the specific platform that I work on over time, knowing that it will cost me in the short term, but hopefully maybe pay off down the road. So he's wondering if we have any advice for him here. Um, you know, he's finding himself a good niche, but the problem is he's the only one that can do it. And uh, he doesn't really say this, but I suspect he's burning out because he seems like he needs direction. He doesn't know where to go from here because, like, he's making good money, he says. He's got a mix. 80 to 90% of his income comes from a mix of long-term clients and subcontracting. So he's got some diversified income there. So he doesn't actually really say quite what the problem is, but I'm guessing it's single point of failure, burnout, trying to think of how to make money without having to do so much of the hands-on work himself, that kind of longer-term thinking. Yeah, a couple of things definitely jump out to me. One, how careful he is not to tell us the platform. I bet it's Android. <laughs> no, it's not Android. So the subcontracting thing kind of is a flag to me. That is almost certainly his lowest-paying work, and, and tell us if it's not. Um, so I would start trying to phase that out and do more direct contracting at slightly higher rates, right? Um, in terms of finding other developers... That's a dog's breakfast, man, because anybody, if it's a rare platform, anybody who could do it is not going to want to do it for less. Oh, great point. And you need margin. Like, really, you need, like, a lot of margin for that to make sense because people people get sick, people screw up. Uh, Do you really want to manage developers? The other thing he didn't mention was productizing his stuff. Sometimes that can be super helpful, like back in the bad iOS development days and potentially in the future. We had productized uh, like app shells that we would sell. So you write the app shell once. It's like a drop in. You know, you're a business. This is an app for you to. I think we did one for like pizzerias or something weird, and uh, we would like sell it, license it to you for like two thousand dollars, right? Instead of charging you for custom development, and that was really more of a sales problem where you could get someone who's like a biz dev guy to just sell that. And uh, you know, if you've ever seen Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, get that boiler room running, right? So. I don't know, man. I mean, it's going to depend on the platform. If it's something like old and esoteric that not a lot of people know, I don't know what your margins are like. I don't know if you're charging a lot or charging a little, but if you're not making, I would say like 50% above what you're paying, you're probably going to end up really not making too much profit given all the other costs. And keep in mind, if you actually employ someone, there's lots of taxes. Yeah, it's very it's very complicated, very quick. Right. P- people cost a lot more than what you offer them when you hire them, right? then it will vary by your state too. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's all really sound. You you wonder like, uh, is his goal long-term just to have a lifestyle business that makes enough money for him to be happy? Right. That's really, what's the goal there? And maybe it's a, maybe it's more of a curation of clients. And like you said, winding down some of the subcontracting. 
Yeah, that is a tricky one. I think your point is really sound that in that particular niche, if somebody's capable of doing it, they may just already be out doing it and um, they don't really need you. So, Chad, that's a good one. Let us know where you go with it. Yeah. Um, and congratulations on going independent again. I bet you that's a story I'd like to hear. <laughs> Listener Chris writes in. He says, I've been enjoying the show, but I have to ask, who uses a laptop for development? They make sense in times when the market leaves and they maybe have a good power per dollar as a custom system, but nothing compared to what you can get with a PC tower. And who really needs 20 hours of battery life when developing? Why would you want anything less than three screens and a machine that can execute tools and compile it as fast as possible, which only a desktop can do? That actually sounds like an older version of me. It's funny enough. I used to really be big on the go super powerful desktop, then go uh, light and portable on the mobile. Because my answer to that is, can't you have both? <laughs> yeah, I would just say get both. That's where I'm kind of. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's what you do, right? It's not like this is, you're not joking around here. You're not kidding yourself. It's like you're, this, you're, you're really committed to this. This is what you're doing. And you want to make it work for you in all form factors. Mobile's critical. Yeah, I would say, especially if you're independent, like, you know, the plague aside, I used to spend like roughly a third of my time traveling, right? So having a decent laptop that can do development without, you know, chugging was important yeah but yeah that's uh i think a lot I, although i would argue i think a lot of like places that have developers are just buying dell xps's and uh, uh at the apple macbook pros wow wow what are those called that was bad yeah i mean uh i think it's if you could only buy one i think you could if you you could only buy one and mobile work is not a priority i think listener chris probably has a good point you do get more bang for your buck with a PC. You know, I have a several-year-old PC as my primary workstation. It's now losing to the review machines that I bring in, the laptops. But it took a while. You know, it took it, – it really held its own for three years. And I could still throw in more disk, more GPU, uh, more RAM. So it's, like, not even maxed out. It's not at the end of its life. And it's, it, it's perfectly capable now. So I do feel like you get longer – Longer of a work class machine when you go with a desktop tower with proper cooling and all of that. But the M1 and all of that may be changing some of that paradigm. If you just look at the benchmarks we're seeing now, it may some of that may be shifting, but we'll get to that. Linux Danish wrote in. He says, hi, Chris and Mike. I wanted to comment on your dark matter developer discussion and get some feedback on the new points in the Apple Silicon discussion. Um, to the dark matter point. Uh, what did he call himself? Linux Danish? Yeah. <laughs> Linux Danish maintains a couple of specific legacy IT systems supporting system engineers in a highly controlled and regulated industry. We have benefits, regular hours, decent pay, <laughs> bureaucracy, and no windows. The whole nine yards. And I don't think he means the OS kind. I think he means like actually no windows. Oh, I thought he legit meant windows. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah, I know. I was like, that's a weird uh, dunk on windows for no reason. Okay. Which <laughs> is <laughs> uh, I'm not in the department doing the development all of the time. I'm now headlighting new products. So maybe it's different there. But for my team, the tyranny of the defaults tend to reign when we are choosing our tools. We can just use about any technology as long as it's included in the offline Visual Studio installer on the Red Hat ISO, or the Windows ISO. Technically, we can go through the bureaucracy to get new things, but it's so much effort that it isn't really viewed as worth it most of the time. The end result is that it's a major deal for me when things are built in, whether they be tools like Git and Visual Studio, Python 3, or just standard libraries and language features. 
So, so like when the vendor starts to ship it, it really makes a difference, even if it's been available online. That's an interesting point. Now to hardware, says I wanted to echo the experience of the MacBook owner who realized that he has been using the same laptop for years perfectly fine. Only mine is a Windows laptop. It's a Dell Precision from 2014. And it's still trucking along just fine. Honestly, it can be kind of annoying when you're looking to upgrade. <laughs> Maybe I should just start drinking coffee the way Mike does. <laughs> huh. Yeah, every episode. Apple Silicon. There is a lot of hubbub right now about how Apple has just revolutionized the tech industry. Beyond Raspberry Pis and the Pinebook Pro, I'm not that familiar with the state of ARM for general computing these days. My understanding was that most other vendors haven't been able to really match Apple's performance in their phones. Do you guys think that the rest of the industry will be able to release competitive ARM products, or will Apple just end up the performance unicorn among the rest of the field? And he has a little bit of bacon to fry, too. He says, due to the rise of system-on-a-chips, he has a little conspiracy. Is everything going back to the pre-IBM PC clone days, back when everything was in-house, designed, and purpose-built for that specific system? Or is it different this time? And if it is, why? Now, this is an interesting question because we actually got a couple of versions of this that came into the show over the week that essentially assert that Apple building the silicon, Apple building the casing, Apple building the operating system, Apple building the cloud services, all of it is one cohesive, more like Sun Microsystems than we have seen since Sun Microsystems. Mm, let's pour one out real quick for Sun. Yep. There, yep, there we go. <sighs> Still hate you, Oracle. Still hate you. I wonder if they are going to be a performance unicorn for a little bit. Mm. You know, because these M1 Macs, they're not making Threadripper machines with 64 gigs of RAM and quad GPUs cry. Let's not get ridiculous here. But they are making just about every laptop owner out there kind of look at their machine going, why can't you do that? Mm, And some iMac Pro owners. Yeah. Who have seen some disappointing benchmarks. And uh, we've seen TensorFlow update for the M1, and TensorFlow is saying very positive things, which we were really wondering how that was going to look on the M1 series. You know, what it fundamentally comes down to with some of these applications and the performance we're seeing is, and I said this in our analysis of the live event, is what we are seeing is Apple has executed on just about every key point of this transition. And I got to give them credit for doing a good job. They got macOS switched over to 64-bit. They ate that sandwich a couple of years ago. They started building in the security stuff that they needed. They've created APIs like Metal and Grand Central Dispatch that goes all the way back to core elements of how the operating system handles things. Oh, GCD. That's so classic. I thought you'd like that. Yeah. But they've been laying this groundwork now for for many macOS releases so that If the application relies on any of these built-in APIs, it's accelerated. It's using native ARM code paths, and it's getting any kind of CPU acceleration the OS can offer it. Um, And I think that's a fascinating bit of pre-work that they did. And now here we are, and you're running applications, and if the UI calls to Metal to render part of the UI, well, that's accelerated. Mm -hmm. If it uses GPU rendering to do some of the computation, that's accelerated, even if the app is x86. And so... It's like they nailed, they freaking nailed x86 application performance. And I just didn't see that. I, you know, I just, I thought that would be the area where this transition was going to be the little bit that they didn't talk about. It was going to be the quiet part that nobody wanted to talk about. And it was the failure of the M1 transition as x86 code ran like dog snot. But the reality is they, they nailed the Rosetta transition. They got everything on the Mac OS in line and ready to go. 
They began iterating on multi-core and different system-on-a-chip designs for iPad Pro years ago, which is was obviously in preparation for this. Like they got all of these things right. Um, and you know, I'm I'm I gotta I gotta call I gotta call an impressive play when I see it, even if it wasn't for my team. Uh, I think Apple really nailed it. So let me give you some more uh, Mac OS trivia. Do you know? And since I'm asking the question, it should be obvious. Which release of Mac OS GCD was released in? I think it was Snow Leopard. Yeah, of course it was Snow Leopard. Come on. Because I, I remember the whole thing was like, um, well, there was two things about Snow Leopard. Was that It was the big fix. It was like the nothing's really going to change big fix release. Mm-hmm. Oh, but by the way, we're introducing this entirely new way to manage processes and cores. <laughs> right. So as a user, it's like we didn't change anything. Everything is the same. As a developer, it's like here's 4,000 new APIs. Have fun. Datadog.com slash Coda Radio. Today's episode of Coda Radio is indeed sponsored by Datadog, which is the monitoring and analytics platform for cloud-scale infrastructure and applications. Do you know how your applications and services are performing right now? What about the ones that are across different service providers or in containers? You can see inside any stack, any app, at any scale, anywhere with Datadog. They've been around since 2010, and their founders set out to solve the problem of system administrators and developers not being able to communicate and having the same set of data to work from. And from that, they just created this this beautiful dashboard system you can use with now machine learning-based alerts, customizable dashboards, over 400 vendor integrations. It makes it really easy to bring in all these different sources of data. And then you can pivot and move between the metrics and events for fast troubleshooting when you need it for that or when you need to know how an application is performing for development. And it's all in one place. And Datadog also gives you observability into things like container performance. So if you have applications running inside your container, you can see how each individual container and application is doing inside there. It's definitely worth a try. Go to datadog.com slash radio. Try it for free for 14 days when you go to datadog.com slash radio. And if you set up a dashboard or install the agent, you get a free t-shirt. But you got to go to datadog.com slash radio. You can see it all in one place with Datadog. Datadog.com slash Coda Radio. So, Mr. Dominic, are you still on Big Sur? How did that go for you? I know last week you had just done the install, and uh, did you rip it off there, or are you... Uh... Nope. I am... You know what? I'm making a major life change. I am saying yes to Big Sur. What? Inappropriate? Mm-hmm. Really? You know, at this time of year, we often say what we're thankful for. In my case, that would not be self-control. <laughs> So allow me to tab out over here. Allow us to go to the holiest of sites, store.apple.com. Oh, boy. Now we go to Mac because I'm not you. I'm not buying a HomePod. We're greeted by a MacBook Air and a MacBook Pro. All right, I'm going to go. I'm going to go see this, store.apple.com. All right. Now, which one are you uh, considering right now? So originally, I was considering the Pro. Okay. But in what I can only describe as a Urza-like feverish research tangent and lots and lots of YouTube videos. Familiar with this process myself? (laughs) It seems to be that the difference between the Pro and the Air is like a fan, right? And they can actually get roughly the same-ish performance. Now, we were just talking about with the listener who wrote in how we like beefy workstations, but then nice, small, thin laptops, right? Yep. So I think I'm going air with a hesitation. I heard one kind of sketch uh, review site was saying that the air screen is dimmer. I think they typically are a little bit dimmer than the pro screen. Hmm. 
But do you ever run them at 100% brightness? Yeah, because I'm freaking blind. Oh, okay. But, I mean, how bad? Yeah, you know what? It's probably fine. So then we're in the air. Mm-hmm. Now, I notoriously don't keep my laptops for a very long time. True. They sometimes have unfortunate smelting accidents or smoking accidents or mixology <laughs> accidents and more recently green tea accidents. So I mean, we could just say accidents in general, right? I mean, you know, true. I, I like to make sure the audience knows that I vary my destructive patterns with, with Apple laptops. Fair, fair. Yeah. So you're greeted by, first of all, an embarrassing default configuration of 8 gigs of RAM, 256 SSD. Yeah. I don't use a lot of storage because, you know, most of my stuff is just like code. But 8 gigs of RAM, ugh, can you really tolerate that? And you can never upgrade it. And you can never, ever upgrade it, right? Yeah. So, you're, you know. So, I think what I'm going to do is take the base model, double that RAM. Okay, I'm following along. So, base MacBook Air with 16 gigabytes of unified memory. Yeah, I don't care about storage because I honestly never use a lot of storage. So you're going to leave it at 256? You're not even... I'm going to leave it at 256. Wow, okay. okay. Well, because if you look at it, if you up the storage, it's actually insane not to take the other... Oh, no, it isn't because they don't give you the RAM. They don't give you the RAM upgrade by default on the more expensive model? No. These cheap bastards. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's 2020. Well, I think this is, uh, you know, I mean, the Air traditionally has been the Facebook machine. This is not the Facebook machine. Or, you know, the homework machine. But now it is... You know, now it's, well, things have changed. <laughs> it's the dunk on the XPS machine. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want this in silver. Hmm. See, that's a tough call. You know what? No, I'm going to go with the, I'm going to go with the, the base, this 256. I don't need it. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. All right. So, final cut. Get that nonsense out of here. Don't need that. Nope. Okay, then we click add to bag. So, uh, you're around $1,200, which, you know. Apple care. <laughs> Ah, no. Who would need that? That. What kind of monster? And then we... It thinks I'm in Canada? Wait, did I go to store.apple.ca like an idiot? <laughs> uh, uh, you know, you wanted it with that honorary maple syrup that they include with every... I just wanted it to, like, be nice to me. <laughs> to, and it's coming on Christmas. Really? Yeah, December 17th to 24th. Huh. Well, happy, you know, happy, merry uh, uh, Christmas days to you. So uh, you're going to go with the MacBook Air, uh, 16 gigs of RAM, 256. Um, that's a pretty decent build because you're not going crazy. You could go with something that's way more expensive, which would probably be probably be too much with this generation because, you know, they're going to quickly get replaced and probably with superior housings and touchscreens and whatnot. So probably a good call. Not to just max it out. Yeah, I don't think maxing it out would actually make sense only because I have a... F oh my God, I can't do Apple Pay because I upgraded my iPhone and don't have the old phone. <laughs> <laughs> Apple is... Optimus Gray thinks it's actually the between the Canadian store and the uh, Apple Pay checkout option. He thinks it's Apple uh, just trying to uh, slow your roll. Yeah, Apple's <laughs> like, you know what? This guy, we love our air. We're not... You can't have one, Mike. You're... We know this guy. <laughs> He's, this guy's out of control. Okay, so now we have to open my iPhone. And okay, we're ordered. Why did I have to do that on my phone? Really? That's interesting. That that was odd. So it's ordered just like that. Just like that. Boy, they make it easy to spend money. Yes. <laughs> and, and they don't test if you've been drinking either, which I'm sure is a feature for them. I'll tell you, uh, I have also decided on a laptop myself. <gasps> you tease. I told you I was in that phase. You know, I was trying to figure it out. Um, I used to have a ThinkPad T480, but... Uh, had to send that back with, uh, you know, going independent again. Mm. I was trying to figure out 
what was the right machine for me? And I wanted to see what Apple had to offer with the ARM processors, because if I'm going to spend my hard-earned money, I want to spend it once, and I want to, I want to get the maximum value that I can. And uh, I just recently had the Dell Precision uh, 5570, I think it is, which is a monster multi, you know, 64 gigs of RAM, big old GPU, monster Xeon CPU, right? 17-inch high DPI screen, infinity edge-to-edge, just gorgeous. And I, I could really see myself enjoying a laptop like that. Um, you know, if I'm going to go big, it's a big, it's the thinnest, it's the world's thinnest big laptop. And I could really enjoy it. But... I don't need a quadro video card. No, really nobody does, right? Like No, and, I've, and that's what I've been trying to figure out is, so what I've been stuck on for a long time is, do I need a dedicated GPU or not? I like the idea that if, uh, you know, I was going to maybe play a game with the kid, I could just crack open my laptop anywhere and GPU's good to go, can just start playing. But the reality is it happens, that that is a rarity. We, it's more like we plan to do it and then we sit down and do it. And I have this eGPU enclosure, which I invested money in, and I use it as a dock, so I'd have to come up with some other solution if I got a laptop with a video card. And um, I invested in a video card a couple of generations ago. I could just replace that video card, and then my other systems that have Thunderbolt also get a new video card. That's a nice feature, but of course the new Macs don't support eGPUs. Oh boy. I looked really, really, really hard at uh, the uh, updated recently Galago Pro. But I ultimately, you know, was playing with combinations there, and I just really can't, I couldn't come to a configuration that I I ultimately wanted to pull the trigger on. So I have narrowed down my list of laptops, but ultimately I think the one I'm going to pull the trigger on, I'm waiting until Black Friday, uh, is the ThinkPad X1 Carbon preloaded with Fedora. You're such a hipster. Fedora. I know. I know. Um, and I think that'll be the laptop. I haven't I haven't decided for sure. I'm still kind of kicking around. I'm also considering, like, if there was a brand new updated Meerkat, I, th- I think I would consider going with that and then building it into a desk. But I'm, you know, you're looking now when you go to buy when you go to buy a laptop, it's really it's not a, there's not anything that really quite hits my perfect spot for a machine because I'd like something that is portable that has good battery life and if it's going to have intel i'd like the absolute latest intel processors and the majority of the market seems to have 10th gen processors and 11th are the latest i think out of all of them the only one other one that i'd most seriously consider would be the galago pro right now but i'm not 100 percent convinced yet on which way to go so i think i'm going with the x1 but i haven't decided yet i'm i may end up waiting I don't know. We'll see. I mean, now that you've got this, I'd like to hear your experience with it. It is always fun. There's a collector aspect in me that's always thinks it'd be nice to have the first ARM generation of something. That that seems kind of appealing, but it's not enough reason for me to pull the trigger on that. So I'm just curious, like, why Fedora? Like, is Fedora, I guess, well, you could you could wipe out any machine and put Fedora on anyway, I guess, but... Well, in part because uh, that's what it's loaded with. Okay, that's what I was asking. Was it like a feature that it was preloaded with Fedora or? Yeah, and I and I sort of want part of it is I kind of want to adv- do an advocacy purchase a little bit. There's that component of it is to sort of register with Lenovo. Hey, this ThinkPad, you know, with Fedora loaded on it, and it also you can, or you can choose Ubuntu, um, also. And I I may I may keep Fedora on there very likely, um, just to sort of run it as an experiment a bit. It's sort of there is that sort of I don't know if journalism is the right, but there's that curiosity that wants to then talk about it. Yeah, Chris, we're journalists. 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <clears throat> Buying laptops. Oh yeah. It's, uh, it's but whatever you call, there's like that. I want to explore and then discuss it, and I want to. I want to have that experience because that's the product. And I, I like the idea of registering a vote with with Lenovo and saying yes, thank you for supporting Linux. But I'm not sure because the Dell XPS line is very tempting as well. Dude, I saw somebody with one. Those are so nice. The thing is, and this is where the Galago and the XPS have not quite got me, mm. is on the on the X on the X1 Carbon. I can get a 2K resolution screen. You have all the options. You can go 1080p. You can do 4K. Oh, that's really cool. I've wanted a 2K laptop screen. For years, for years and years, I've wanted it because I love it on my desktop. Just absolutely love it on Linux. I just think it's the perfect resolution for desktop Linux. On a 2K on a 27-inch screen is bliss for me. And 2K on a laptop screen, I think, would also be really great. It would be the same size, but I still think it'd be really great. And that's an area where the X1 is nudging ahead. Plus, it has Thunderbolt, so I could still take advantage of my eGPU, which the Galago Pro has Thunderbolt 4. So that's also very tempting. Yes, it does. And it does work. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there you go. So you're going to be getting the MacBook. I'll probably be getting, I'm going to either get, I'm either going to end up with one of those la- two laptops, but I think I'm leaning the X1 so that way I can kind of do an, an advocacy purchase. That does sound nice. The 2K, I didn't know what came with the 2K screen. That's. Yeah. The 2K, be able to register a vote for a Linux machine. Yeah. And I've had a thing, I've just had a ThinkPad and it worked really well for me. So. Yeah, people keep suggesting I buy ThinkPads because they're sturdy. Let me assure you guys, I will find a way. Yeah, they're they're fine. Yeah. My, uh, my takeaway review was I liked mine and I would do it again, but I would like a better screen and I would like it not to be so thick. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so there you go. Um, although I won't, I'll be, mine will be like another fugue state of research like you just went through and and watching some videos calling a few people and then and then I'll be making my purchase but I'm probably going to I'm probably going to wait um you know take the holiday and then check on black friday sales and try to pull the trigger damn I don't know man sorry the 2k screen that's that's kind of a thing mhm it's really nice so moving on to things that will hopefully bring me roughly $1200 that I just spent apple is reducing the app store cut to 15% that will be great for the 98% of developers who make no money. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because if you really look at it, it's just a few whales in the app store and then everybody else. This is like karate kid level jujitsu here, right? <laughs> they get all these happy indie developers, myself included, and still get to say F you to Epic Games. Yeah, and um, it's, it's I mean, it's nice because if you make less than a million dollars, you just got ha- you just got Apple's tax cut in half, basically. So it's less than a million from the app store, by the way. Right. So you, you can like, I don't know, be a consulting business, right? Mm-hmm. Though I don't make that much money because I'm sad. But yeah, they call it the new small business program and it will go into effect January 1st, 2021. Oh, really? I thought the way they sent the press release out was Tim Cook uh, emailed uh, Tim Sweeney, subject line, F you. They just sent him yeah. a PDF. That's <laughs> right. <release>. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I, you got to wonder. You got to wonder if they're not looking at going, so can we set up some LCs here or what? So I did say I had another surprise, right? I'm just going to go ahead and leak it. I am looking for a few good beta testers in the next 60 days for an iOS app. Oh. Yes. Whoa. Um, And maybe I'll send you some vintage Coda Radio coasters because I found a box of them. (laughs) Nice. The old, old logo, the green one, actually. So I got one in the studio. I have my tea on one right now, actually, (laughs) because these guys have held up for like, I don't know, we bought them five years ago. I know. This thing is actually taking some serious spills, and it's... 
hear that? Still strong. I'm sorry. You don't think mine have taken spills? <laughs> <laughs> right. Of course. So why can't Epic just be like, we're awesome games LLC and like every year just open a new LLC and be like, haha. Yeah, I don't know. I think the only gotcha is if you made a million dollars from the app store at any point in the year prior, then you're disqualified for the following year. So you would still keep it. So like if in March you made a million and one dollars, it would be in January that you lose the break. I think so. Which seems nuts to me. Yeah. Yeah. But can you believe this, though? Can you believe this has happened? A fifth... This has been the unmovable object since forever, since we started the show. This is the 30% cut has been unmovable. It's got to be the pressure from from Congress and, you know, the DOJ and all that kind of stuff, right? It's got to be preemptive action. Kind of is a significant change to the economics of the platform because 15% is like still crazy if you like have your own credit card processing. But, uh, you know, it's not that bad, right? You can You can kind of make that work better than a third. Well, it's 15% for one of the most high-value app stores literally in the world. They manage the CDN. They manage the storefront. They manage the payment processing. They do the marketing for better or for worse. Like, they do all of that for that 15% now. I mean, when it was 30%, it was like, ah, oh, that seems like a little too much. Uh, 15%, honestly, that's – if you think about it in terms of what it would actually cost to feature an application in a brick-and-mortar store back in the 90s and 80s. Welcome to Babbage's. It was more like 50%, right? It was much more. Yeah, well, there, Best Buy used to really screw developers. It was like you got 30 – it was like the other way, right? They got 70. How about – remember the old uh, – well, I might be going inside baseball, but – so before kids, before smartphones, there was a programming language called Java that was made by a wonderful company named Sun that we're all, again – Porn went out. Yep. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Damn. Um, it just, you know, cuts me every time. Twice in one episode, too. God damn it. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Uh, there used to be these Java, was it Emmy Micro Edition? Am I right? Oh, yes. Yes. So someone, you know, did some Java Emmy development way back when. It was the transition from evil applets to iOS. And the deal was the company would like make an app and the only way to get it was to deal with Verizon, which you can imagine how awesome that could be. Mm-hmm. And literally the company who make made the quote unquote app got like 20% of the revenue. Yeah. It, it was the same thing for a Palm Pilot, right? Like, yep. Yep. Yeah. The, the stores were completely controlled by the carrier, which is just how things worked back then. Yeah. Oh, and if Verizon just like you were too small or whatever, you, sorry. <laughs> That's it. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, and then there was no mobile web to speak of. There was the baby web. Oh my god, the uh, text-only browser on your little yeah flip phone. Yeah. So you know who's not happy about this though? Huh? The creator of Ruby on Rails, DHH. He's whoo spicy Twitter feed about the cut in price. About the cut. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is the logic for that? His whole point is Apple's doing this to hopefully duck you know antitrust, and because only big developers actually make the money so they're getting a bunch of goodwill and not losing money well how is that how is that bad though well he wants them to open up to their payment pro- right like oh so he wants he wants them not to do this change so that way they get in trouble by federal regulators and then they're forced to go right right because that's always how those things go is they always go best case scenario when regulators get involved versus a company who just proactively makes the change that would most nominally be negotiated from some sort of federal investigation anyways and does it ahead of time federal government never has to get involved company makes change and users win but i mean well, who do, what do i know 
Right. This is like Apple saw the writing on the wall and was like, all right, mea culpa. Let's just do this. Right. And also there's the rumor. I don't know if you caught this one that they're going to in the iOS setup flow when you're starting uh, starting, you know, like getting on your phone after out of the box. Oh, yeah. They're apparently and this is I heard through the grapevine going to start suggesting third party apps for defaults, actively suggesting them. So like they're basically saying, DOJ, please don't hurt me. Right. Browser banner. Oh, dude, I didn't even. Oh, crap. Everything comes back to IE6. Yeah, it's the preemptive browser banner before they're told to do it, just like Google has the search auction in some EU markets. Yeah. So I don't know. I actually am excited about this. I think with the new ARM unification, with I think if long-time listeners of the show know, I pretty much think the iPad is probably the best computer for lots of non-enthusiast people. And I'm... I'm going to try it again. I'm dipping my toes back into the iOS tool and you will pry my objective C from my cold dead. No, I'm doing Swift and I'm really crying in the shower quite a bit. I'll tell you what would really be a game changer is if it turns out to be doable to get Linux on these things for me. And that would be great because Linus talked about it. Uh, he he posted it earlier that uh, he uh, he thinks these MacBooks would be great if you can get Linux on them. And so I thought, okay, well, that's kind of an interesting idea. And then I saw this interview with uh, your good buddy, your pal, uh, Craig Federici there. Ooh, I'm getting a little hot over here. Hang on. He said, and I quote, there's nothing technically preventing Windows from running on the M1 Macs. Yeah, why would they? Like Microsoft just... And you know how good Microsoft is at getting Windows 10 on ARM? Ooh. No, no, no. That means then if you can get Windows running on it, and you can get Linux running on it. Yeah. Well, didn't you see the Linux iPad thing? No, no. Is this a thing? This is a thing. How did I not see this? Like, I don't know why it exists, but someone is trying to make that. Huh. I don't know about that, man. They showed Linux running on it. No, no. Yeah, that was in VM. Oh, it was in a VM. Okay. CFED's talking about running it natively. You just got to write the drivers, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I don't know exactly how that would work. Yeah. Listen, if you could, it's, you know what? I believe in, in the Linux hippies. <laughs> Linode.com slash coder. Go there to receive a $100 60-day credit towards your new account. Linode.com slash coder. Linode is my cloud provider. I discovered them a couple of years ago after I started working, and I thought, you know what? I better I better set up my own servers that aren't mixed in with the business stuff now that I'm an employee. So I went over to try out Linode because I'd seen them at Linux Fest and just about every other event I've attended, and I've known about them because they've been around forever. In fact, Linode was one of the very first cloud providers. One of the first, they beat AWS by three years. So they've been around for a little while. I was familiar with them and I thought, oh, I'll go try them out. So I went over to Linode and I signed up for an account and I'll say my expectations were high because I was pretty familiar with what the other vendors offered for configuration and management. And they exceeded my expectations. And I stuck with them for a couple of years. And by the time Jupiter Broadcasting was going independent again, there's just no question where I was going to deploy the new work infrastructure, the new systems that we had to set up. Linode is my cloud hosting provider, and it hosts all of the new infrastructure that we're building for Jupyter Broadcasting 3.0. It's got native SSD storage, 40 gigabit network connections, a revamped, easy-to-use cloud manager. I love the cloud dashboard, but honestly, you know what I just kind of use super, super fast and quick all the time? Is Linode command line interface. You can get a command line interface really easy to set up, and then you can set... Like what I do is I set ACLs or upload object files all the time for the object storage. I, if I play a sound, that right there, that came from an object storage. <laughs> not that. Yeah, it's really cool. And I use the command line to just take care of all that stuff. But you can spin machines up and down if you don't want to use the dashboard. And their costs are, are, are really impressive. They're 
30 to 50% less than major cloud providers like AWS or Google. They have 11 data centers around the world, so you can pick something that's close to you or something that's close to a client, or maybe you want something spread out and do a little redundancy. And with machines starting at $5 a month, why not? They have machines that go up from there with dedicated GPUs and CPUs and lots of RAM. Over the weekend, I set up a new server just within a couple of clicks. Eight gigs of RAM, dedicated CPU, and I set it up in Dallas, Texas, because I kind of wanted it in a nice central point in the States. So go check them out, linode.com slash coder. Get a $100 60-day credit towards your new account. Also, while you're there, check out linode.com slash careers. See if they have some job openings. They often do. Linode is often hiring. That's linode.com slash careers. But do the show a favor, do me a favor, and get a $100 60-day credit. Go to linode.com slash coder. That's linode.com slash coder. This week, Stadia announced that it will be playable on iOS in Safari via a progressive web app, which I totally suggested. And I said, I don't know how it'd be possible in a, in a Coda radio not too long ago, because you just think about the size of data that they have to transfer and what Safari's limits are, but they're making it work. And, you know, they have a dedicated app now, but it's just like a little hub that lets you see your friends and mm. your inventory kind of basic. And so uh, they're going to open up to public testing and um, you're going to be able to play your Stadia games that nobody uses in their browser. I think Amazon's Luna gaming service is also doing this. So I actually have Stadia. No, I know. I do too. You don't want it. It's kind of impressive that they got this working in iOS Safari. Like the tech, I would love to hear more about the tech, but yeah, it's, you know. That's kind of how I felt about it is it is actually technically very impressive. Like I think over the years we've lamented Google killing products. You know what? If Stadia's got to go. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I uh, I got it because uh, I thought, you know, this could be the great equalizer that would equalize no more. This Again, going back to this laptop thing where it's like, yeah. do I need a GPU or not? Well, no, not if Stadia can stream it all. Yeah. It's doable. The tech is doable. I, I bought I, I bought Red Dead Redemption. It's not, it's playable. It's fine. I briefly had like the Super Pro and I got to play Metro, but it was crap like it really suffers from bandwidth fluctuations yes it does i i have played it um over mobile in the woods and uh <laughs> yeah I, I just thought i wanted to try it to see if it was technically possible it's camping chris fisher style i'm just in the woods yep. playing Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> <It was. laughs> and uh when the game starts up it's a heavy snow scene so the compression oh god just yeah, and so and it was it was mixed results for sure. But I was impressed it was even technically possible. I even was on board with OnLive back in the day, which was a different streaming service that required a dedicated application. Also didn't work. Yeah, I mean, I, it worked okay, but it's like it's better for some kinds of games and other kinds of games. And yeah, um, but you know, this is the way it's going. PlayStation has a streaming service. Microsoft has a streaming service. How can that be when we have duopolies or in a lot of cases monopolies in the U.S. for bandwidth? Some, can you explain how? Um, hashtag 5G. I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, it, is, it is funny because it's like, um, for some people, it's hard to even watch a streaming video. Yeah. Let alone a game that often requires more bandwidth and lower latency. And it's, it's bi-directional. Like, I might be going to my data center just to, like, watch Netflix in 4K off the dedicated fiber. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? I, it is. It's a... It's a it's a bad situation, and when we say all this, and the listeners that listen outside the states, they always like to write in and jab us a little bit for like their yeah. So it's like 
greetings from Israel or any other country with an internet policy that actually makes sense. Right. The reason why I threw Stadia out uh, a while ago as maybe they should make a progressive web app is it sort of felt like a Hail Mary kind of kind of solution to an app store problem that just seems impossible because this 15% that Apple has done here doesn't solve the other problems that developers like Epic and Google and Microsoft have where um, as an iOS user, I don't, I mean, I, I actually may use stadium more if I could play it on my iPad. I really might. I, I mean, you must have much better bandwidth than I do. I mean, I'm on Comcast. I mean, it's all right. I mean, at home I'm on cellular, so I can't do it there, but here, Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I, I don't know. I actually think I do have, just based on our recording data, <laughs> I think I do have it, but... No, I think you actually do, right? Like, it's... But it's not great. It's not, like, the best of the best. Huh. Like, right now, my average uh, latency to Google servers, my, 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 my ping milliseconds is 20. That's kind of high. Of course, I'm also live streaming and doing a video call with you at the same time. True. So I, I am using the internet for other things, but... Transcoding shots of Federici unbuttoning a shirt. Oh, jeez. <laughs> just him opening up that macbook over and over again on loop <laughs> that was weird I, you know every you know I, th- I think apple was saying meme this they're like they're they're trying to create the meme opportunities yeah well there was a hashtag federico for for days so he got it yeah uh. well yeah hey i guess it sells max actually uh snark aside i should just be better about this like he seems like the perfect guy to run that position like he really knows his stuff he's got passion for it oh no i i, I he's doing a great job yeah i i just like that they i like that they leaned into the fact that he never buttons his shirt all the way and just like <laughs> went for it right yeah 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 very much so well so yeah there you go i mean we'll see we'll see if um we'll see if other streaming providers follow suit we'll see if more applications launch to safari this also is interesting because you're going to be able to potentially set different default browsers on ios yes but chrome on ios is still going to be safari so yeah it's true that's true that's like true. it's weird where they're backing down right because like we mentioned Stadia and whatever, what is it, xCloud? Is that the Microsoft one? Yeah. But those apps aren't even allowed in the store. Forget the percentages, right? Because you have each individual game has to get reviewed still. Oh, right. That's not going to happen. Right. There's a specific rule against streaming game services. That's just not going to happen. Right. So I, I don't know why that rule exists, but <laughs> it does. Yeah. Like, I, I do wonder if they like just gave up on app review, but then I don't know, then I, my relatives will download malware and this is why you should get a Librem 5. You know, they're shipping their production models now. Don't you know? I'm sure you must. You probably already have a team of people developing apps for it, I'm sure. Oh, oh God, yeah. We have a whole room of, uh, of yeah, oh, yeah. I don't even remember what that is. What is the Librem 5? Uh, that's Purism's uh, Linux-powered uh, phone. You know what? Ubuntu Touch, all I'm going to say. It's still out there. It's Ubuports. Ubuntu TV. Okay, well, that's that's not out there anymore. I mean, I could just list dead canonical projects if you want me to for like an hour and a half. No, no, I don't think so. Actually, uh, you know what I should mention before I forget is uh, I'm going to do a Black Friday sale on the Coder QL. Take two bucks off if you use the coupon code Black Friday, all one word, when you go to Coder QA and become one of our quality assurance members. You get the quarterly report, you get a limited ad feed, and of course, you support the show. And for a limited time, special Black Friday sale. Uh, use coupon code Black Friday at CoderQA.co. When does the quarter end? Is it like right during the holidays? When? How does that work for this next one? This quarter, it's uh, it's the end of December. This is the the saddest quarter where we have to pay taxes. Yeah. Hmm. We conveniently always buy a laptop around this time of year. Yeah. Isn't that funny how that, isn't that works? Isn't that funny how that happens? <laughs> 
Oh, I'm so, what happened? I needed a laptop. Oh, yeah. It's a work machine. I would rather, I would, I mean, there's a part of me that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyways, maybe we'll save it for the uh, quarterly report. I'll save my opinion there for that. Yeah. Um, so if you want to get that and the previous one we've released, that's at uh, coderqa.co. And thank you, everybody, who uh, supports the show directly. If you're not interested in that or you, it's not viable for you, we still just appreciate you listening. And if you have an opportunity to take advantage of our sponsors, we also really appreciate that. We're just we're just glad and thankful that you guys are here. And, you know, want to say, actually, let's just I'll just thank you very much, everybody. We've had a, it's been a really great return. Um, you know, the, the show's been back now for a little bit. And I think uh, some people are still finding it. But overall, I think a lot of people stay subscribed, hoping and um so it's been a really ni- it's been really nice, and so one of the things that uh, both Mike and I I'm going to speak for you now uh, are thankful for is uh, you guys. So yes, absolutely. Thank you, everybody. Uh, Mr. Dominic, is there anything you want to mention or plug before we get out of here? Uh, no. Uh, follow me at Dominuco on Twitter. Company's the Madabotter Inc. If you need um, any iOS or Python work done, let me know. There you go. Yeah, Fat Cat says in the chat room that we need merch. Yeah, He's right. We do. I just want to do it right. When I do it, I don't want to just like you'll see like a lot of places or YouTubers they'll just throw their logo on like yeah in, in anything that auto generates merch, and I don't want to do that. I, I actually this is way inside baseball. I actually just got a very messed up box of TMB merch that I'm sending back. Ah, uh, yeah, that's the other thing is that's a problem too. Yeah. Uh, yep, he is at Dumanuko on Twitter. His company is at the Mad Botter Inc. I am at Chris Las. The network is at Jupiter Signal, and the show is at Coda Radio Show, if you'd like to follow any of that. Mostly, you get updates from us or updates about the show or release information. The show is live on Mondays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. Links to everything we talked about are at coder.show. Coder.show. Ciao. Starting my holiday drinking early. <laughs> coder.show slash 388. Also there, you'll find the subscribe link and the contact form. We'd love to get your emails. Feedback is a big part of the show, but you got to send it in. And we're pretty much all caught up now. I didn't read a couple of them, but I tried to respond to the ones I didn't read on air, which means our inbox is empty and we need your emails. Coder.show slash contact. There you go. That's the hard pitch right there. It's the hard. Thanks for joining us on this. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Coder Radio. Have a great holiday and we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>